Welcome to the show, Paul. Adam here in studio talking Art of Living. Right here, right now. Thanks for listening. Great to be with you today. Adam, how's it going, man? So good. It's summertime. We're experiencing a cool front in Louisiana, so it's instead of being like 100, it's like 90. 90. <laughs> We're just basking in it. Actually, a cool front for us in the summer, uh, just FYI, is just that the humidity goes down, so the right. air is drier, so it feel, feels cooler, Yeah, which is great. Because next week it's going to be, you know, 100% humidity. Yeah, our humidity level is normal, normally like 325%. <laughs> I always say, like, you could cut the air. Yeah. Like, literally cut. You There's could, more water could, in the air than in the ocean. You could see air. <laughs> yeah. You could see air. You could swim. You know, like, when it's cold, like, you could see the air when it's you breathe. True. Like, in the summer, like, you could, you could literally feel, feel the air. Like, it's so thick. But I, I don't know. It's just summer. Yeah. And it we're actually like in a decent mood about it right now. But talk to us in August <laughs> and we're gonna be extremely depressed it's about summer. It's brutal. We're gonna be like, just stop this. <laughs> <laughs> this is torture. How are you, Paul? I'm good. Yeah. Um yeah, summer, you know, I, I travel a little bit uh, in the summer, so lots going on. Um, you travel a little bit. We might be recording on different days in the summer, just you know. FYI there, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you travel a little bit. I think you travel a lot. <laughs> uh, not for enjoyment. I mean, not like vacationing. Right, right, right. But right? to just, spread the gospel. Yeah, just working. Which is awesome, you know. Doing the Lord's work. So anyway, um, have you seen this? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real, though? Yeah, I'm for real. So have you seen these phones that uh, have uh, facial recognition? Oh, yeah. Okay, does your phone have that? Yeah. Okay, it does. Well, I just recently upgraded. Now, when I Congrats. say upgraded, like I went from like the outhouse to the penthouse. <laughs> like an iPhone an negative upgrade. two. I, yeah, I went from like the, the four and a half to five that have been. <laughs> four and a half. <laughs> to holding on for like years <laughs> to the point where it was just like it couldn't boot up. Yeah. And I'm, I couldn't basically do anything on the phone, you know, so mm -hmm. it was just almost useless. <laughs> and... um you know, the final straw was I was traveling somewhere and, and, you know, the phone kept shutting down when I was trying to get directions and trying Ooh. to get to my talk. And I was just like, this is, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So when it, the upgrade, well, I've missed like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. <laughs> apparently <laughs> like half of the, of the iPhone. I didn't know this. Yeah. I didn't know this. And if you know me, I'm, I'm not like on the cutting edge of technology. Mm -hmm. I don't really long to be but i mean i know i need it right mm -hmm. in some way shape or form so i've apparently missed all these numbers okay mm -hmm. so i've just jumped to the upgrade of like whoa what just happened <laughs> and there's facial recognition mm -hmm. you know so instead of putting in your passcode it recognizes your face and it unlocks your phone and it's freaking you out <laughs> it's freaking me out but here is the have you seen okay okay <laughs> here's what i found out adam Here's what I found out. That facial recognition isn't so friendly when you get older. What you mean? Okay, here's what I mean. <laughs> so right now, it will recognize my face. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, when I wake up in the morning, it does not recognize my morning <laughs> face. And I'm not joking. Like it, When I wake up in the morning and I grab my phone to look, you know, to have a, a missed call or what time is it or whatever, the phone does not recognize my morning face. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that's discouraging. <laughs> oh, 
What do you think it is? Like puffy eyes or? Yeah, I mean, I probably it's probably a bunch. It's probably I am unrecognizable. <laughs> like it's official. Like it's that's scientifically proven. Yeah, you have a, a drastic morning face. So those listening, like, get the phone. You'll know when you're aging, <laughs> when your facial recognition doesn't recognize your morning face. Wow, it's pretty funny. That is pretty and funny. almost like hmm, okay, mm. here I am. <laughs> yeah, here I am. Have you ever not been recognizable? Yeah, because I about a year ago I grew a beard for the first time in my life. Really, I mean, I'd done it for like a week or whatever, and it's uh, it's hilarious. Like I still have the beard mainly, not mainly, but one of the main reasons is people that I've known my whole life like don't know who I am. That's awesome. And it's it's like you can walk into like a store. That's exactly what happens. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but you know, let's say you're you're trying to stop in. You got five minutes before. Mom needs to leave, so you got to take over baby duty. Like, you got to get home, Mm -hmm. but you have to pick something up, diapers or whatever. And you walk into the store, and there's somebody you haven't seen in four years. And just saying hi won't cut. You know, you know it's going to be a conversation. So you just go to the next aisle. Dude, with this beard, I just walk right in. Walk right in. And they have no idea who I am. Yeah. I've been having the same haircut since, like, 1998. So people know who you are. <laughs> For the most part. <laughs> and I don't grow beer, but it looks good on you. I used to have a teacher when I was in elementary school, and uh, I, I would give her a hard time. Aww. Like, I was kind of a, you know, a class clown troubled kid. I know that's surprising, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was. I, mm-hmm. I did. And she used to yell at me in class. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> she would say... She would say this line. I remember it like it was yesterday. She'd say, Paul George, you are rude, crude, and unattractive. <laughs> That's what she would say. And to that, I would say, you're, you're right. I totally, <laughs> totally am. I totally deserve whatever you're slinging at me. Rude, crude, and unattractive. But I remember thinking about that. Like, I'm rude, crude, and unattractive. Like, it's basically like the whole me. It's just... <laughs> Dude, but, she can be sued today for saying something like that. Probably, but I probably, like, if they would have brought her to court and I had had to testify. <laughs> you would testify in, in her favor. I would have been like, she's right. She's completely right, She's y'all. completely right. Chill out. I am rude, crude, <laughs> and unattractive. You know, and I was thinking about that, like, there, I think there are times in our life, like, we're, we're kind of uh, unrecognizable in a mm-hmm. sense of, like, you know, we feel unrecognizable uh, internally. You know, uh, maybe we've gone through a tough time or, you know, we've screwed up, messed up. We've dealt with shame or whatever. You know, there are times in our life where we're unrecognizable. There's times in our lives where, where the, we go through hard times, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's times where the church goes through seasons of hard times where almost like the church is unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I even think like we're in a season where the church seems almost unrecognizable compared to the early church. Like it's just, it's not its true self at times. Like we're going through the season of rebuilding the internal mission of the church, right? To be authentic, to be good. And, uh, but I think we go through those seasons as well. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not the same kid that is rude, crude, and unattractive. You know, I've, I've grown and changed, but there are times in my life where like I might revert to that behavior Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and like, what is it that propels us to 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 be recognizable? 
you know, like to clean up our act, to, to move forward, to, to, uh, I don't know, to be our true authentic self. Yeah. I, sometimes that confirms actually, you know, what, what pulls us out. I think the Lord does. And sometimes I've, I've had that confirmed in some dramatic ways. So like, for example, there was a situation where I was in, let's say a not so nourishing work environment in the past. Right. And I didn't realize how much it was affecting me. Mm -hmm. But then when I did and I felt the Lord calling me out of it um, and I came out of it, I saw a a coworker about a year later and he said, you look so different, like in a good way. Right. In a good way. Um, You know, like when I last saw you, you were tired and you had this like burden on you and now you, you change, you know? So just confirm. Yeah. Yeah. That was the Lord calling me out. And, and sometimes it's, it's not because anything's doing anything wrong. It's it's just, you know, life situations happen, and, and a lot of stars need to align to where we live a happy, holy, healthy life. But the main thing we follow is the morning star, right? Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's got the plan that brings us uh, to heaven. And sometimes we go through a valley in this life where we're going to go through those unrecognizable... F- but he doesn't abandon us then, you know? No. No, he doesn't. But, you know, the internal ex- it affects the, the external countenance, you know. Mm-hmm. There have been seasons where, you know, it's like, man, you don't look so good. And, you know, there's times like, ah, oh, you're, you're like, you look good, you look healthy, you know. Uh, you know, for a lot of women who have been moms, it's like, you know, the, the pregnant glow, you know, that, that they talk about, you know. Mm. I don't know what that's like, uh, by the way. <laughs> uh, but this is what Jesus was about, like helping us become our true self, is what I'm really getting at, mm-hmm. you know, like even in our rude, crude, and unattractiveness, uh, <laughs> Jesus comes in to to um, to to bring out our true self, right? And as in this season of where we celebrate the resurrection, this Easter season and this Pentecost season, right, is uh, this is what Jesus does. Like Peter goes back to fishing, and we and we've talked about this, uh, and. And it's almost like in Peter's mind, he's unrecognizable. He's back to his old self. He's back to fishing. He he doesn't know what to do now that the Lord's gone. And yet Jesus shows up and still recognizes Peter. He pulls him out and says, you know, you're no longer a fisherman. You're going you're, you're gonna to be, you know, changing the world. You're going to be a fisher of men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and has this conversation about... Uh, what, what's on the inside that needs to come out as your, your true self? Now, that's pulling out the sinfulness. It's pulling out the bad behavior. But in that, it brings to the forefront uh, who we're really called to be. You know, And so uh, you know, the Lord pulls that out. But how often are we re- repentful of our behavior, like truly sorry for... Um, you know, for our wrongdoings, for our sin, so that we can change, like repentance, really turning from the old self to the new self. Well, I think you're touching on a very important dynamic, especially amongst younger people today that stay away from the church, and that is the gospel is not an external idea that wants to impose itself on my life. You know, like, for example, it's not a, a moral standard that I have to submit to even though I don't want to. It's not a, it's not an, an oppressive thing at all. And when we view the gospel that way, we think, well, 
I'm going to have to change so much about me. I'm going to lose myself by following Jesus or, you know, going to church or whatever. Like, I will have to become someone I'm not, and I just feel inauthentic. Like, mm-hmm. this is such a challenge today. But the reality is the gospel is not out there but in here. Like, the mm-hmm. Lord knows us in the most intimate fibers of our being, and to live the gospel, to follow Jesus, we discover more and more who we are. Right. Not abandon who we are we discover it and the thing is don't only the ones that have done this know this reality and it's hard to convince right <laughs> people but the easiest way is is living the authenticity of who we are as christians and not trying to be someone we're not not trying to do things we don't need to be doing you know like if we follow the lord in authenticity that's the greatest witness to those that are struggling with this that feel like following jesus is going to be inauthentic when they meet an authentic Chris, Christian, it lets them know that, wow, you seem really yourself, you know? And I'd love to be like that. Like, I'd love to be myself, too. Yeah, when when people view Christians as this authentic witness of joy, of change, of, like, wow, they have something. Like, that's the gospel personified. Like, that, that it's, it's, I can see it, you know? Um, that's when people look at it because you're right. A lot of times it's like, you know, the gospel is forced on me or Jesus is forced on me. He wants to, you know, change. Jesus comes in, right, like, and makes us our true self, you know, takes away the old uh, sinful part of us, but doesn't change our personality or our DNA, obviously, um, but makes us who we're fully called to be. This is what he does with Peter. Like, he, he knew Peter's potential. He knew uh, what Peter was really called to, and P- Peter was still the the guy he was but just changed from the inside out with a sense of real purpose and mission and everybody wants that sense of purpose and mission everybody wants to live in an authentic self a true uh the true meaning of who they really are right and we seek all these external things to try to help us to navigate and find ourselves and really it's jesus in us begins to guide us right Mm -hmm. uh and call us out to who we really are and you know to be honest like and to to kind of fight the argument on the other end is i think there are a lot of people who are falling away from the church or who are non-christians or who have are non-practicing or whatever you want to call them uh, that look at the leadership or look at Christians and say, what's the difference between them and me? And I don't see it. Mm. I see a failed leadership. I see Christians who aren't joyful. I see um, a gospel that's not really alive. Like, I'm not saying that all the time, but there is an argument to that's part of how some of these people have grown up and seen. And in that way, they're like, I don't know if that makes a difference. Well, you know, there are some this is going to be a crazy analogy just follow me just follow me i'm i'm on track <laughs> with you right now there are some objects in our solar system that are far from the sun and they're cold right and there's some that are very close and they're hot yeah and we don't fuss at pluto for example for being a cold planet right we understand that they're too far from the sun from the source of heat and warmth that pluto is is just too far right and so I think the worst, one of the worst things we could do is fuss at people who choose not to follow Jesus. Now, look, we are all held accountable to our experience of the gospel and whether we accept or reject it. All of us. 
we're all held accountable. But if people live their life far away from the church that Jesus established, they're going to live in that cold, dark place. Mm. You know? Whoa. It's if the church is not on fire, if the church is not present, if that fire is not present to people, then they're not close enough for life to happen. You got to be at that exact point, right? The earth is at that exact point for life to flourish. Um, and yes, you know, Bishop Barron this week at, at the conference, uh, USCCB conference said, for every one person that enters the church, over six leave the church in that same year. Right. Right. It's not to blame those six people. Now, it's Jesus that's going to judge them. I don't know how much they understood or not. Exactly. But the issue is they live their life too far away from the church. And by the church, I mean Christ is the head, mm -hmm. and members follow him faithfully. That's right. the church. Right. All right. So this is we just went way into this. We're going <laughs> to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. It's Paul and Adam talking Art of Living. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul and Adam talking art of living. And, you know, I'm kind of glad that no one's ever said that you were rude, crude, and unattractive. You've never experienced that. Not those life. three words together, but separate. <laughs> yes. Did you ever get fussed at in class? Yeah. You did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I was a bit of a class clown as well. Just silly? Just silly. Not malicious. Right. But just silly. Right. And... um you know, it's one of those things where, like, you make one little joke here, teacher laughs, do it again in five minutes, teacher says, shut your mouth. Right. That kind of thing. Right. You just didn't have yet the virtue of knowing when to pump the brakes. Right. I didn't have that. <laughs> we would have gotten in a lot of trouble together, probably, because totally. I would have just kept egging you on. Well, honestly, what would have happened, what was my MO, was that we would have hung out during school, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go to parties with you or right. to your house. Like, if I... Yeah. Right. But I would have gotten you in a lot of trouble in school. Yeah. And that would have been fun. Yeah. No. So anyway, we're <laughs> in the midst of this conversation. You know, a lot of times when we look at these statistics, Adam, of uh, the church, of, you know, people leaving the church, our culture, we can get super maybe disappointed or like, what do I do? Discouragement kind of creeps in. And I think, you know, one of the things that's important to do is, the past can teach us some of the things, you know, the beauty mm -hmm. of, of our faith is that we can look back thousands of years, right. And see the good and the bad of history and, you know, the church and of our faith and we can learn from that. Right. And we're in a, a season of our culture and the world and of the church of saying, you know, how can we, you know, learn from the mistakes and how can we grow and how can we get better? I, I think, a lot of ways the church is going through a purification mm -hmm. uh, of holiness. Um, 
but we can also learn about faith in a good way. Like what were the great things that sustained people, right? For, for what were the things that rooted people and sustained generations? And, you know, those are the, like, we look back at like the apostles and the disciples and, um, the saints, the early saints, the people like, like when we look back, we see what changes our perspective is when we see and we hear stories of people who were sold out for the faith and lived it. Like those are inspiring things for us. And we look mm -hmm. back and be like, whoa, like there was something about that person that transformed them. Then then they just transformed the world around them just by being their authentic self, the, the self that Christ called them out to be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you and I were talking about St. Joan of Arc, you know, like, like her story, like what she accomplished by living her faith on fire, literally was set on fire. We'll get Paul. to that. By the age of 19. <laughs> yes. Like, we're not like, oh, like it took her, you know, 80 years to accomplish what she did. And we're still talking about her. She accomplished it in less than 20, and we're still talking about her. Yeah, it's amazing. It kind of reminds me of, um, you ever seen some of those movies where there's like a military situation or something, and and somebody's like pushing for diplomacy, and other person's pushing like for, you know, send the missiles. Right, right. And uh, the diplomacy route is going to take forever and not work. Right. I'm not advocating for missiles, by the way. I'm just saying. But Immediate in action. The movie, right. In right. the movie, it's like, just push the button. Right. And we'll get this done. It's almost like the church is kind of in that place. And, and that's where it was in Joan of Arc's time, too. You know, it's like we have all these official channels we've set up, but that people have learned to navigate and get around and whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, like, just push the button. And, you know, G Joan of Arc, from a young age, she had visions. I mean, she was not an ordinary person. It's not like... It's not like she didn't have an extremely special calling. She did, okay? But what she did, we could all imitate, like you said, is she followed Jesus faithfully. That's, I mean, that's all she did. Passionately. Now, Jesus asked her to do some incredible things. Right. But she did it. And it got, she got it done. Like, she, we still talk about it, first of all. She became the patron saint of her country because of the heroism that she displayed and and save the french people and save the faith in that area i mean all by the age of 19 and a woman at a time when it wasn't like that wasn't a thing it's not like today where you could oh, join man. the army and sign up like mm. it wasn't even close to what even close to a thing when i mean so much so that she would disguise herself like by dressing like people necessarily didn't recognize her as a woman but just like a but she looked like a soldier or whatever mm -hmm. probably thinking that she was a uh a man, right? Mm -hmm. But her faith propelled her to push the gospel forward, to fight for truth, right? For fight to fight for what was what was right in the world and in the culture, and um, like she wasn't afraid to do that. Like we look we look back and we look at people like her and even contemporary saints like Mother Teresa, or um, you know, we we can just keep keep going. We we can look so much further. You know, we talked about the disciples and the apostles, and you just, you could weave all the way from, like, the original New Testament church and thread it through a, these people 
who we still talk about and know mm-hmm. about historically <clears throat> that basically sus- have sustained the faith. Yeah. You know, and so oftentimes we look at the church as like the church needs, and it's like this structure, this like that that's supposed to s- sustain its people living the gospel that sustains the faith, right? Mm. It, and and it's everyone from the top down and the bottom up who are passionately following Christ and being disciples that moves the faith forward, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it makes you wonder who's moving the faith forward right now. And if, I mean, Joan got in a lot of trouble with certain people that, I mean, she ended up, she didn't get killed by like savages in the wilderness. She got killed by bishops. Yes. So there was corruption in the so church. So it makes you wonder right today if someone is like that, if someone is like Joan, if someone is following the Lord in the church today, how would we know? Hmm. And um, we how, might not know till we look back. Yeah. Well, you know, and who do we follow? Because the thing is, Joan rallied the people. It wasn't just St. Joan of Arc that did all this by herself. She was a leader. Mm-hmm. And that's what's amazing, too. Like, she led men, you know, that... And so today, we need to be led. And, like, who's going to lead us? Well, no one else would lead, so Joan, God sent Joan, right? Right. So who's God sending now that we could follow? Yeah. And... um so these are questions I kind of ask myself often, and it's not it's not an easy answer. I mean, there's no way to know who the Joan of Arc is today. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, one of the, the answers to that in, in a small micro way, okay, I'm not talking about in a big macro way, like um, is this, is that we can't all just, we can't just sit around and wait for someone to like take us by the hand mm-hmm. and lead us. Mm-hmm. Like we all can lead. Mm-hmm. Where we are, we can all live our faith where we are. We can all move forward. We can all do something in our world. We can all be a disciple. We can all share the gospel. When we all do that, uh, that begins to light a fire in the church, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think we are in a season where we can't <clears throat> always look to someone else. Like we have to look in the mirror. And this is what I appreciate about Joan of Arc is like, well, I'm not the most qualified, but I'm just going right. to do it, right? Like right. I'm not the, I'm just going to do it. And I was in um, last week. I was in uh, Austin uh, doing a talk and a training um, on discipleship and formation for parishes and whatnot. And uh, this woman came up to me, and she had this amazing ministry that she's been trying to do, and everywhere that she would she would go present it and and look when i talk about amazing ministry i'm not talking about like she's trying to start this build a building and start a nonprofit and you know like yada yada like she literally goes visit hospice patients and prays with them mm-hmm. okay like and she's been trying to get uh priests and deacons to go and do last rites but you know they there's so many people who are dying who are, that they don't have enough people and the church basically keeps telling her we can't help you. So she just stopped. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's <laughs> like, well, you know, I don't have anybody. And I said, well, do you want, just keep doing it. She goes, I can do that. She literally said, I can just do it. I said, yes, you could just do it. Like, mm. just keep doing it. Right. And it's like, she was like, I didn't know 
that I could just keep sharing the gospel mm-hmm. with people. Like, yeah, you can absolutely just keep doing that. Keep doing what Jesus is asking you to do. And you'll be fine, right? I think a lot of times we just sit around and wait. We wait for someone to, to lead or someone to say, like, just do what Jesus is asking you to do in front of you every day. That's that's what helps us to come alive. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing else that makes us alive because that's, that's why we live. Like, we exist to follow him. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be with God forever in heaven and the way we get there, God's the Father's plan is to follow his son, Jesus. Right. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, you ever had a group of friends, or you ever had a situation or in a work situation or in a staff's that that finally everyone decided to be on the same page, and then there was like one or two people that were like the odd people out. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't get the vision. They didn't buy in. And they were really like a disease amongst the team and the staff. But the staff decided, or the team decided, they weren't going to be affected by those or that one. And then eventually that one was like, I don't fit in. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm out. Mm-hmm. I can go all the way back to the Last Supper. Yeah. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, we're all about this. We're all about this, right? Oh, there's one person that's not on board. So we're going to change our mission because Judas doesn't get it. <laughs> is that what he said? No. No. Basically, he was like, Judas is like, I'm the odd man out. I don't fit into this. I choose not to fit in, by the way. Yeah. So I'm out. So he leaves. So here's what I'm getting at. When, when, when people decide to live this out together, and I'm talking about you and I, I'm talking about lay people, I'm talking about clergy and leaders, eventually... The odd people out, even in leadership, are going to look at people who are on fire and be like, I'm, I either need to jump in, be on board, or I'm out. Yeah, or I need to suppress it. Like, that was Jones' situation. Like, so for all of us, we can't just sit around and wait for someone out. Like, we need to start. We need to be the ones. We need to be living this to the point where it's like, it's like our passion puts a fire underneath the church. Mm. And says, "Hey, we we all got to get on board, even if that fire ends up killing us." I mean, that fire we started because that's part of God's plan. Joan has done yeah. more good for the church in a 19-year life that went out the way it did than she would have done with an 84-year-old life where she wasn't that faithful and that courageous. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, honestly, I think it's harder to live in a church where there's this sense of kind of like scandal and like issues or whatever then a church that's that's dying i think if we're in the middle east and people are dying for their faith now i'm not saying i'm ready to go sign up and i'm that you know i'm not no, but you have, you're at a decision point you got to make a decision right what are you about right and and i i can imagine um a certain easier more clarity about following jesus in that environment than in the united states right now well and, and i think it's it's actually gonna it's happening Mm-hmm. I think it's ha- the pressure is happening on the church. I think, I think people are fed up, like in a sense of like even like obviously like people who were n- not followers. I mean, we just saw recently in the news that uh, that uh, in the diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, Tallahassee, mm-hmm. Pensacola, like wasn't like the bishop's chair set on fire? Yeah, the co cathedral in Tallahassee. Yeah, mm-hmm. someone set a fire in the church, like. 
like like everybody has to say like am i like am i gonna do I, am i still on board right? yeah like like even like the bishop well who, i still go and to i mass, know the bishop yeah. there he he's a, a great bishop like he's got to wake up and be like man like i'm kind of like i gotta decide mm-hmm. like you know what I'm like? Like, yeah. I think that type of, I mean, obviously that type of hatred for Christians in other places of the world we see, and here it's more like hatred, like online and on Twitter and on Facebook or culturally, like in politics and in those types of things we see the hatred. But I do think like the hatred's gonna it's coming out in other ways. Mm-hmm. Somebody just set a church on fire. Yeah. We've seen churches set on fire um, here in Louisiana. Yeah, um, like the, like non-Catholic churches were set on fire for hatred. Like, there's a decision point that I think Christians are going to have to make. And when Christians make that type of hard decision, that's when the culture is going to look at Christians and be like, "Whoa, they're really all in." Yeah. Well, this is what our Lord said, right? He said. No one sets out to build a tower without first calculating the cost. So no one advances on, you know, a, a troop of twenty thousand when they have ten thousand men, right? Like you, you can't even be a disciple, or you can't even, you should not even go unless you're willing to go all the way, right? Like, do you have death in mind for Jesus? Like that's the starting point, right? And we have to live at that decision every day because if we if we're not willing to die. For the Lord, then we're willing to to sacrifice our integrity day in day out. In other words, like we're gonna we're gonna be mediocre Christians if we don't wake up every morning saying, "Lord, if today's the day I die, I'm ready." Yeah, and He also says that when if you find a treasure buried in a field, go sell everything you have and buy the field. Like, what's who's the treasure? What's the treasure? It's Jesus. Like, yeah. I found in this, I found the treasure. I'm going to sell everything I have so I can buy the field. Why? So I can have the treasure. Like that type of like attitude of like my I'm I'm giving away my old self so I can become my new self in Christ. Like like I'm shifting gears to say I'm I'm selling everything to have this treasure, right? And I think you brought it up earlier. We often think like we can't do that because it's going to, I don't know, it's going to like change our life for the worse. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is going to kind of impose himself on us, his will. No, it's this free choice to say like this tre- treasure. He doesn't say like you're buying like, you know, a dung. Mm-hmm. It's like a treasure. Like this is the thing that's going to transform your life forever. But what's a treasure do? I mean, it, it provides everything you have, right? Like you're selling everything. To have everything, yeah. You see, like, but see, that's the issue: is that a treasure implies value, right? Immense value. And if I am not aware of the value of Jesus in my life, I'm not going to sell my future. You're not going to. Like, I'm not going to do it, even if I know about him. Him, even if I've been informed about him, it's my awareness of the value of Jesus. Okay, so the value of the treasure is way, worth way more than what you currently possess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I had two lottery tickets, okay, what, say one lottery ticket was a million-dollar lottery ticket, and you had it. It was the winning ticket. 
And if I told you, I'll trade you a $1 million lottery lottery ticket for a $1 billion lottery ticket. Would you do it? Yeah, I would would do that. So you would let go of the $1 million for the $1 billion? I would. Right? Like, in, in... this is what Jesus is basically saying. Like, you you have something of value, but I have something more. Sell that, and then you you have you have more. But we hold on to our old self, to our old ways, to our old thing, to everything, our old church, our I like, and then and we're so afraid to let go of it. And yet, if we sell it, we have more value, right? Like when you weigh it out. Well, and it. It is kind of the challenge of 2,000 years, and this is the, the mission of the church, is to preach the gospel, which is good news. It's not just news. It's not, you know, take it or leave it news. It's not like the weather. It's good. It has a value. Like, it's for everyone. It has value for everyone, and everyone needs it. But again, the effect of preaching is people accepting the faith. Good preaching good living out the gospel is necessary for people to receive it. Like Joan of Arc, like other saints that have had dramatic conversions from literally preaching. I mean, there there are saints that have walked into Mass, heard a gospel read, heard a good homily, and literally went sell their entire field from one homily. Mm -hmm. What's the kerygma? I mean, it's preaching the gospel. I mean, this is what we see in the early church. Like, people's lives weren't being changed when the disciples were locked behind closed doors. What did it say when they went out? They, they preached the God. They didn't just like walk the streets and like there was this like glow. They didn't walk the streets and like it was like they breathed and people were like, ooh. Like well, they went out and preached the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like they, they shared the faith like like with their with their with their mouth. mouth. And their lives. And their lives. Because in that first sermon, let's take St. Peter, who we were talking about him earlier, in that first sermon where he brought 3,000 people into the church. And they the didn't church, hold back, by the way. They didn't hold back. The You could look at the force of his words, and we could say, that's a pretty good homily. I've probably heard better, but that's pretty good. But put it in context, that they just killed Jesus, and now he's going out in public and preaching him and saying, and calling you killed out. him. Yeah, you killed him. So it was the words, but it was the witness behind the words and the authenticity of this man is risking his life, obviously, and the life of all of his friends. Like right. they're, they're either nuts or drunk, like they said. Mm-hmm. Or there's something here that, that has value, that has immense value. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Paul and Adam. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul and Adam, talking art of living. You brought up planets, man. Yeah, I did. You did. Solar so, system. So Pluto, and Pluto's 
kind of been this. That's like, a controversial figure, right you there, know, Pluto. In and out planet. Like, yeah. is it a planet? <laughs> now it is. Now it's not. It's two There's going to be like, you know, years of textbooks where it's like, it was a planet. Now it's not. Mm-hmm. Now it is. And I don't know if it's a conspiracy of like reprinting textbooks and then you got to buy them. That's a good idea. I never even thought about that. You know, so you like, you know, you kind of say something. But do you but, know that there's dwarf planets in our solar system? Did you know this? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Anyway. I, I don't really know. <laughs> w- would you want to go to space? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have a desire to. If space I was ready travel? to die, yeah. Like, if I was like, I'm probably not coming back. Okay. So, if we found out that there was life on another planet, say Mars. Okay, because that's like the biggest one we think about. Mm-hmm. And they did not know Jesus, obviously, or whatever. Would you travel, space travel to Mars to share the gospel? If they were intelligent? <laughs> well, let's just say if it was the right thing to do. I Who's would... to say we're intelligent? It's <laughs> 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 so funny that we we think of uh, you know the idea of aliens is like is it intelligent life? <laughs> <laughs> it would raise a lot of questions for me that I'd have to search through. But basically, if the church says we need to evangelize these people, I would say, well, let's do this. Okay, so I'm did you board. know that they there are places on the earth? that people have never heard the gospel. Yes. And did you actually know that there's now places in our own country that people have never heard the gospel now? Like there's been generations of families and people who have not lived the faith, who have not gone to church, who literally don't know who Jesus is or what he did. I met one of these when I was in college. He was from Vermont. He literally knew nothing about... I was like, "How is this possible?" Right, and you were in college years ago. So fast forward, like yeah. we're we're in a we're in now generations of like kids who have grown up who are adults who non faith, like n- never walked into a church, heard the gospel, seen anything, and like are just completely. And so we're we're all like, think about like, you know, man, I need a. I need to go to Zimbabwe or I need to go to, you know, Sri Lanka or whatever, which is great if that's where Jesus is calling. But it could be like your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. It could be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest privileges of my life was when I met that that man. His name was Grayson. And uh, he, I was at the student center on campus, you know, in the cafe, and he walks in after mass. Grayson. Grayson. That's such a Vermonty, like... <laughs> Like the depression son. rate in Vermont, like <laughs> it's pretty high. Yeah, but he walks in and he somehow ended up at Mass. I forget how, and uh, he says, "Hey, can I ask you a question?" It's like, "Sure." What was that white thing that everybody was getting in there? <laughs> and I was like, "You mean the Eucharist?" Yeah. What What is that? Well, uh, where are you from? You know, but come to find out, like he didn't. He had heard the name of Jesus a little bit, but mm-hmm. like. So for the next two hours, I got to share the gospel with someone who had never heard it. This is the only time that's ever happened in my life. And it was the, the privilege of my life. I mean, RCIA later that year, he became Catholic, and, and I guess he went back to Vermont, but now he's Catholic. And uh, the thing is, there are some people who are called to do this all the time. Like, mm-hmm. this is their full-time gig, is that God calls them priests, religious, and lay people to and share the gospel. A, this isn't anything new. Like, this, right? this is the church, right? 
That I mean, we, we see it when, um, I think it's Philip in the mm-hmm. uh, early in the Ethiopian. Yeah. meets the Ethiopian and hops in and, you know, is on the chariot or whatever and is riding. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who is this Jesus? Shares it, baptized, shares the gospel, and the person's life's changed right there. Like, mm-hmm. like this is, I mean, at, at the end of the day, like, this is where Christianity gets hard, is that it's not just believing. It's, it's believing to the point to where we live it and share it. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I just think like one of the worst quotes that we've, we've leaned on is, you know, this quote that for so many years was shared is like, um, you know, preach the gospel and, and only use words when necessary. Right. Like you can't, you could basically like just live the gospel and like osmosis will happen you, can, you you have to have both. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's often necessary. You gotta live the gospel <laughs> and share the gospel. Like be open to talking to people about it. All right, so we're gonna do a six pack of questions. Question. All right, so here's the six pack. This is where we're gonna go with this. Whoa! So it's like the let's do this. It's like six pack of like hero heroes that we look up to or have experienced in our life that have lived the faith so either we've known about them read about them or we've met them i love it all right well i'm gonna start it question number one when you think of heroes in your prayer life in other words people that have taught you how to pray either directly or they're just saints and you learned a lot about prayer from them so prayer hero so prayer hero that's good i mean we're unprepared for these questions totally Completely unprepared. Uh, I think will be probably a contemporary saint mm-hmm. uh, of our time is uh, Father Jacques Philippe. Oh yeah, he's your prayer hero. He's a French priest. We, 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 by the name Jacques Philippe. I mean, that's pretty I, good already. I'm, I'm hoping he's French. <laughs> uh, has written a series of books on prayer, like and like if you want to learn how to pray more and better and deeper and understand it get any and start with Jacques Philippe so he's written books that you would just read again like it's books that you would be like I need to read that again I love that so he's he's a he's a living living it out it's a good one yeah contemporary saint father Jacques Philippe well done sir okay uh, so has there here question okay so I want you to think about uh Historically, a, a saint, a person who's not alive, who has impacted you to the point where it's like that person has convinced me that Christianity is real. Yeah, St. Francis of Assisi, I remember pretty vividly. I was, um, I guess, about a year before confirmation. I wasn't anti-faith. I wasn't like, you know, all this is dumb or whatever. But I remember watching a documentary about his life and the scene where he literally gave away everything, not only everything he had, everything his dad had and and made him furious and then went into the middle of the town square and took his last possession off his clothes and said, you're no longer my father, God is my father, and then just lived it the rest of his life um, and inspired countless people since then and um this had a huge impact on on me at the time now 
would I say I'm a Franciscan spirituality? No, but that boldness and that decision, you know what? Well, I'm going to give it all away and I don't know how I'm going to exist tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to live. Um, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm, I live for the Lord from now on and he's my father. That really stuck with me. You know what's interesting about Francis too, just because we go all day on a show on France, but, uh, um, he lived in a time where the church needed reformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like, mm-hmm. and uh, his radicalness is what helped change, you know, the church. But what I love about Francis, and most people don't know, is that he never became a priest. He mm-hmm. started a religious order, and there were priests in his religious order, and he decided not to be one. Right. L- like that's like the desire for like n- like no like power, right? Like that is the humility, and just saying I'm just going to live. Like that, like you would, it, that's hard to see today. Yeah. Like someone who doesn't desire more authority and power. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, I was on my yearly silent retreat for the diaconate formation. And I'd given, I'd been given some tasks to do as I pray by my spiritual director. And one of them, you know, I was sitting in a, in a beautiful church and going through these questions he gave me to ask, you know, to ask the Lord. And I was having this conversation, but just kind of like my whole life, you know, like the God's call from my whole life and follow, you know, thinking about that. And I was thinking about the way St. Francis impacted me. And then I look up and then there he is right in front of me on the wall. There's a painting of him. And I remembered he did become a deacon before he right. died. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. And a deacon, this might be what God's the word deacon me means service, service, right? You're right. Servant. Yeah. So like he just always, like he never desired, yeah, that that's amazing. All right, question number three. So you're a husband and a father. Yes, they kind of go together, mm-hmm. but they are distinct. Mm-hmm. But they go together. Um, who's your hero as far as when you think learning to live the husband and father life could be someone dead or living? Mm-hmm. Um, who's your hero? Your dad, husband, hero? Hmm. From like from like a sold out Christian. Yeah, like you no. Know, I want to be like that. I want to be your hero, baby. <laughs> you know, that I <clears throat> that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I had a friend of mine, uh, Jim Beckman, who was, you know, maybe about, you know, he was a season above me as far as like married and then kids and then, you know, then I got married. And uh, him and his wife, Meg, uh, were um, just sold out for their faith. It was a, like, what, you know? I remember, you know, just thinking like they're close enough to my age for me to relate and to understand, and yet, like to see their journey of like how they wanted their marriage to be, making Jesus the center of their marriage and and their life as a husband and wife, and then having kids and making Jesus the center of their home. Uh, like to me, that was like there's something very different, very radical, very beautiful about what they're doing i i want to i want to do that like i i want my marriage to have the same meaning wow cheers to jim yeah so i think oftentimes we we need witnesses like that to say you could do it differently or better or have jesus at the center like you know like and um you know my mom and dad were you know were good but this they were way older like sometimes you don't you look at your parents but but you know seeing seeing a friend make that journey was like huge and and then there were other people but yeah right on yeah i remember that's 
the witness of happily married people is so important. And I remember I was working with Marianne and I working with a couple and we asked the question like who in your life is like the happiest marriage, you know, and it, it took them a while because they didn't know anybody was still together. Yeah. Or happily and together. So they chose a TV couple that seemed really happy. <laughs> that's hysterical. Yeah, but it kind of it was a shock to me. I was yeah. like, wow. No, that's true. I, mean, I couldn't even imagine trying to be happily married if that was if I didn't have anybody in my life that was happily married, you know, especially following the Lord. Right. Crazy. They had the Brady Bunch couple and they slept in separate beds. No, that was the big thing is that they were the first to sleep in the same bed. Mm, that's interesting. It's controversial. Okay, so uh next question is you know, did you ever encounter someone, maybe a teacher, uh, you know, a coach, a mentor, uh, that that's even maybe alive today, like in your life, that was sold out for the gospel and was like, man, like they are convincing me that Jesus is still alive today. You know, so you talked about Francis then, but like today, mm-hmm. you know, now. Yeah, I mean, there's a so many examples. I, I'll say one that as far as a mentoring goes. So Father Jerome Fry, who founded the Community of Jesus Crucified here in Lafayette, which still exists, but okay. he's passed on now. So he's yeah. uh, he was the founder, and he was my spiritual director for five years. And um, I got to witness... I mean, he gave me a lot of good direction, but I got to witness him live his discipleship in some ways that was astounding. I mean, he was a, he was an older man. He had a lot of health issues, but I'll just give you one example. He seemed to have this little rule for himself that even though it was very difficult for him to walk, if someone needed him somewhere, he was going to go. So I remember being at his, as community, like for spiritual direction, waiting, whatever. And somebody would call him with like a little request from the other side. Right. And this is not a huge deal. Okay. But like, here's, uh, you know, I need this father. I mean, you say, okay. And he would get up and like, very difficultly walk over there, do the little thing and then come back with a smile on his face and like happy to work with me on my relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, this guy's 84 and following Jesus happily and serving everyone around him. Like I want to be like that. Just a humble, uh, I'm going to give it to the last drop kind of guy. That's who he was and is now in heaven. But that's awesome. Yes. That's just one example. There's another, I'll I'll give you another example, a guy named Nino, and if he's listening, he'll be embarrassed, but, so Nino is a consecrated... Not uh, Nemo. No, not Nemo. We found Nino. We found... Still looking for Nemo. (laughs) But Nino, um, he was formed by a very holy person who founded a movement in Italy, and he spent a lot of time with him, and he was formed directly by this person, so he just has a lot of good formation. But there's just, the thing is, when you're in Nino's presence, like, you know you're in the presence of Christ because of how deeply he's in his soul. Hmm. And like, I noticed sometimes I would go to pray and Jesus would talk to me like in Nino's voice. In other words, like I come to associate Nino with faithful following Jesus so much that like psychologically, um, I just, the presence of Christ and the presence of Nino became. So I was, I was fired up to live like that. Like I want to be someone that when people are in my presence, they think of Jesus. You know, um, because it's, I don't want them to think of me. I want them to think of the Lord. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question. Great. Question number five. Okay. Um, so when you think of heroes for, like, sharing the gospel, heroes that we 
should all look to, but maybe you personally, of like, okay, this is where we're at. This is where the mission is in the church. We need to go share the gospel. Who's a hero we can look to? Cool. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can give one answer. We ain't, we don't have the time. I know. But if you had to give one, give us one hero we can all look to, Paul, that would show us the way to share the gospel. I mean, you got to go to St. Paul. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, his transformation, his radical conversion, his ability to, to be relevant and yet study, like, and then preach to, uh, the audience that he and where he traveled, like to to know, um, to, to to know, to be radical, and the, and to know the culture he was in, uh, like he was sold out and preached, like didn't never like so read the epistles, like read what Paul says, like if you want to know how to preach and and what to preach, read the New Testament writings of Paul and just whoa, whoa, like. You can't get any better. All right, so we're running out of time. Last okay. question. All right. Uh, what's the in final final encouragement you would give to people today to, to leave on a positive note? I would encourage you to experience the sun, get close to the sun. The church is on fire, but you have to look for it. It's a buried treasure today, but it can be in a small dose. You know, just like the Eucharist has... Little morsels, little crumbs, but it's all of Jesus. So it is with the church. Sometimes the smallest church is, is the best. Is it's full of Christ, you know. And they could be you and three friends. But if it's authentic, if it's real, if you're living the gospel, then you're experiencing the fullness of the church and of Christ. So look, stay close to the sun. You know? Stay close to Jesus. All right, great show, man. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, share the show on the podcast, and we'll be back next week. God bless.